Working Wife Happy Life crew. Thank you so much for your patience as we took a few weeks off, but very excited to be back uh, with some great upcoming episodes to round out this crazy year of 2020. I won't go too political, uh, but as hopefully the world knows, we had a very tense uh, but ultimately historic election here in the U.S. I think it's provided many with a lot of hope uh, and certainly filled many, many young girls' eyes and dreams with a very bright future. On today's episode, I virtually sat down with one of the most incredibly thoughtful guests, Shu Matsuo Post, is the author of the newly released book, I Took Her Name. It's a powerful roadmap for defying expectations and becoming your authentic self with an emphasis on unpacking centuries-long messages about what it means to be, quote-unquote, a man. Shu discusses his goal of an unscripted path, chivalry, paternity leave, the labor of changing one's name after getting married, and how he experienced his transition from his successful day job into family leave when his newborn son came into the world. So it's not just us, ladies. I am so excited to share this conversation with you and a special shout out of thanks to our previous guest, Jason Bassanemic, who referred me and introduced me to Shu and uh, referenced his work during our discussion, if you remember that episode. So please enjoy my conversation with Shu. When it goes, I miss the way we were young and insecure. We've grown and I've known that I'd be alone. As your son is fading. Shu Matsuo Post, thank you so much for joining us on Working Wife Happy Life. I'm so happy to, to have you here and to have been introduced to you a previous guest of ours, Jason Bassanemic, uh, who mentioned you during our conversation. And I'm so glad that we can make this happen in this crazy world to connect. So welcome. Bethany, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Me too. Um, first of all, huge congratulations as you are a very new papa. Uh, you have your first yeah. entry into this world. Tell us about him. Yes, so our son was born three weeks ago uh, in mid-September. Uh, his name is Makoa, and he's, uh, he's just a bundle of joy, and we're so excited to have him, regardless of, you know, a lack of sleep and changing diapers, you know, 10 times a day, but, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's been, it's been uh, joy and happiness. That's awesome. Congratulations. And I can assure you there is no greater pleasure as a parent than when the tables turn and you're able to actually wake them up in the morning. <laughs> and they're so whiny and they're so tired. And you're like, I know this sucks. Uh, so there, there is uh, lots of joy ahead in your future. Congratulations. And again, thank you thank for you. making the time to, to do this with uh, obviously such a new uh, little addition to your schedule in life. Absolutely. Um, Thank you. So you are normally based in Tokyo. Uh, right now you're here in the States uh, with your wife's parents uh, as you had the baby. Um, and what I, so I, I want to hear in your own words, because I don't want to put words in your mouth about your initiative. Uh, you have an upcoming book, um, and you have a really unique take on on feminism and uh, your role and kind of your journey. Would you share with our audience 
you know, in your own words, what your, your mission is? Yeah. So my mission is to build a community where men can come together to confront expectations, embrace vulnerability and find freedom in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think society has done a better job uh, empowering girls and young women to be strong and independent than empowering boys and young men to explore the other side of the gender spectrum. And mm-hmm. I think it's, it comes from the, the, uh, the patriarchy hierarchy or whatever you want to call it, you know, for, um, if men were on the top and then women are at the bottom, you know, for young girls and young women to, to act like quote unquote, traditional masculine characteristics, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's kind of going up the level wherein for boys and young men, men to, you know, act more quote unquote fem- feminine is, um, is more going down the level. So it's a kind of look down on. Yeah. So, you know, well, the biggest issue is the pa- patriarchy, you know, the gender expectations that we have in society. But when we kind of take that away, um, I think, um, obviously that's going to empower women and give them more freedom. And also it's going to free men as well. So that, that is my mission. Yeah. It's well, it's such a beautiful take on this entire premise in that it's, it's not just about us, uh, it, it investing in kind of the reframing or the, um, growth of, of femininity into, you know, deeper circles. It's just such a relevant topic right now, but also this, this concept of what we've set boys up to be and to accept as masculinity from the very, very beginnings, uh, into, into where they are. And I feel like there's so many things in there where we take for granted the way things are, or, you know, we have sayings, you know, um, uh, boys don't cry or, you know, man up, you know, Mm -hmm. those types of things that actually have a really significant impact, but are so commonplace that it's almost hard to identify them all. Um, what, what has your, so so the name of your book is I took her name, Mm -hmm. meaning that when you married your wife, you took her last name as your own. So post, is that correct? Yeah. So technically speaking, we combine our last names. Okay. Um, but so I'm from Japan, um, a Japanese native, and my wife is American. And we got married in the U.S. actually. And when we got married in the U.S., we went to the city hall uh, the next day after our wedding, and uh, we said, "Hey, we just want to combine our last names." And we just signed the paper, and that's it. It was so easy. And you know, soon after that, we were actually moving to Japan. For me, moving back to Japan. Um, for my wife, it was her first time living in Japan, so moving to Japan. And uh, I wanted to do the same thing in my home country. So I went to the city hall and I said, like, hey, we got married in the U.S. We changed our name. Here's, uh, here's my name. So I want to change it. And they were like, oh, no, you can't, you can't do that. And I was like, what do you mean? You can't combine last names in Japan. So it's actually like you can't legally uh, combine last names in Japan. And you have to have the same last name. Um, as a married couple in Japan, which is, which is another topic, but yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. Just to finish off my story to answer your question. Um, I, we couldn't combine our last names in Japan. And so I had to go to the family court to get approval and then ask the judge like, Hey, what can I do? 
I really want to change my name. And he said, well, your wife changed her name in the US already. So why don't you take her name? Um, so I technically took her new name, Matsuo Post, um, as my, you know, my new name after, after marriage. So, so first of all, that's a very progressive recommendation from that judge, correct? I mean, it seems like it, just the fact I feel so naive, but just the fact that there are countries where you know, you can't have a different name as a married couple. Mm -hmm. uh, I did not know that. Um, that is a very prevalent thing here in the West. And mm -hmm. certainly, I think for a lot of professional women who don't mm -hmm. change their maiden names. Mm -hmm. um, so that is, uh, that was very new to me. And, and I feel like the name thing is so significant. We just actually did a legal transaction where I had to sign off on all my various aliases that I've had over the years, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not like I'm some secret agent. No, it's because I had a maiden name and I had a maiden initial and I had all these different ways that I'm legally known that I had to sign off that indeed my name is actually Bethany Baines, which is my married name. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's one of those things that, like I said before, I don't know that I gave it a ton of thought when it was happening. Mm -hmm. It was just something you did, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the process and the time that it takes. So just the logistics of it, the hardest thing for me to change was my Delta Sky Miles card. If you could believe it, <laughs> I got, I got a social security card with no problem, but my Delta Sky Miles was relentless. And with that is a, a strange, like identity. There's, there's the emotional aspect of it, right? In many ways, it's your heritage, right? Yeah. It's your family name. Um, there's this idea that I've been this person for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And all of a sudden now I'm this new person. Um, it's a very significant thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like I had a new identity when I changed my name, even though I only added four letters, you know, yeah. after my, <laughs> you know, uh, birth name. Right. But it yeah. I felt like a new, new identity, new person. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. And was this something that, uh, tell me, did, was this something that in circles across your family or your friends or, you know, the different cultures with the East and the West with your family, your, um, you and your wife's backgrounds, how was it met? Um, not at all. I, I grew up, um, watching, you know, married couples, um, you know, the wife taking the husband's name and I've never met anybody, any men who took the wife's last name actually in, you know, when I was growing up in Japan. I was in Japan till I was 15 and I moved to the US for high school and college and then moved back, back and forth. Um, but yeah, it was, no one's ever done that around me. So mm -hmm. I didn't even think about it. But, you know, when I met my wife uh, six years ago, um, she, you know, she, uh, she's a teacher and she teaches uh, English literature at an international school. And you know, at the time she had just started teaching her annual gender and language unit to her mm. 12th graders. And she was just asking me questions about my take on, you know, um, masculinity and like gender equality and all that stuff. And that got me really thinking, I didn't know what to say. Cause I never, like you said, I never really thought about, you know, those things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we eventually decided to get married. Um, and then we talked about, okay, what should we do with our last name? And she flat out told me she wasn't going to just take my name. 
um, and which I was fine with. I didn't expect her to do that, no, knowing that she's a, she's a feminist. Um, and I was like, okay, well, should we just keep our last names or what should we do? And then, you know, she was like, I think the, the question that a lot of people, couples who decide to have, you know, different last names um, have is what are we going to do with our kids? You know, their kids' last mm -hmm. name. And we mm -hmm. wanted our kids to have the same last name as us. So that's why we decided to combine our last names. Yeah. And my, thankfully, my parents were super open about it. And I told them, like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And they didn't question or they're like, all right, well, if that's what you believe, that's that's great. Um, and same as her parents, too. They have been super understanding and, you know, um, open about listening to what we believe. So we're very fortunate and grateful for our family. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. First of all, it's great that you have that that support system and that understanding in such a direct mm -hmm. uh, part of your life. But what kinds of things did it open up? Because it sounds like this was the start of quite a journey for you in you know, and, and maybe it started before when your wife started to ask you those questions about mm -hmm. your beliefs and you started to unpack it. What were some of the things, like what were some of those pivotal moments throughout the journey or pivotal times that you really felt like you had to unwind, you know, some of the things that you had been, you know, this like toxic narrative of what masculinity is? Yeah. So I mentioned it briefly in the, in the last question. Um, but when I think meeting my wife was definitely the biggest turning point of my life, um, uh, in with this journey as well. And I remember the first birthday, her birthday, which is, uh, September 11th. Oh, wow. Uh, my yeah, husband's it, it, September 12th. <laughs> nice. Back to back. <laughs> yeah. Um, so hard to forget the mm -hmm. birthday and the first birthday that we celebrated together. And I was very excited to take her out to this really nice restaurant in the heart of Hong Kong where we used to live back then. And, you know, I wanted to be a quote unquote gentleman. So I, as soon as we walked into the restaurant, like pulled a chair, you know, asked her to sit and recommended like the most expensive items on the, on the menu, you know, the food and the wine. And they were great. And I thought it was going super well. Um, and halfway into the dinner, um, I realized like she wasn't having as much fun or like mm -hmm. something was going on. I'm like, what's going on? And she, you know, she asked me those questions. Like, you know, that that's when she started teaching the, the annual gender and language unit. And she like asked me like, Hey, why do you, why do you feel like you need to do these things for me? You know, why do you, why did you um, pick the the items from the menu for me? Like, why didn't you let mm -hmm. me do this? You know, and when you, when we were walking, why do you always uh, walk on the, you know, the sidewalk closer to the, the traffic, you know, is it to protect me or like, you know, whatever. And then I was like, well, I thought that's what I was supposed to do as a man, but I don't know why behind it. And she kind of kept asking me questions. And, you know, I remember trying to defend the male sex, you know, like, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just, you know, being, trying to be a man. Um, Cause that's what I thought I had to be. And I learned from, you know, quote unquote, like those dating books and all that stuff. And it wasn't working out for, <laughs> for her clearly. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, that's when uh, Emma Watson gave the famous uh, he for she speech at the UN. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized, oh, wow, you know, this is 
you know, this is an important thing. And I, I actually didn't know about this. And that kind of got me curious to, to learn more about it. So I started to read more books. I started to ask questions. And, you know, that was really the beginning of my journey to feminism. And uh, I think the, the, re the when I decided to write this book is when I actually took her name. So to your point, you know, name changing process is very time consuming. Right. Mm -hmm. So it took me eight months to officially change my name in Japan, you know, get that approved, get that approved. And, you know, I, I had many visits to the city hall, uh, the family mm -hmm. court. And I was like, wow, this took a long time, but I was so committed. So I was very happy after eight months. Um, I think I could have done it shorter, um, but I was working full time. So I couldn't go like um, very often to those locations, but I did it. Right. You know. Because while you're doing all this, as <laughs> every woman has in the past, you know, generations of history, you have other shit to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, that really got my eyes open to think like, wow, this is not fun. This is so time consuming, you know, changing the name, my name on the passport, credit cards, Delta, a mileage card, you know, uh, you name it, insurance, yeah, and uh, no one ever talked about it in my life, and my mom never talked about it. Mm -hmm. She changed her name, and uh, I didn't. I, I didn't know because I was a man, and that's when it really hit me. Like, wow, society expects women to go through this only because they're women. You know, most societies, mm -hmm. right? And I, mm -hmm. I thought that wasn't cool, and you know, I thought that was wrong, and that's when I was like, okay. I need to look into into this and uh, what what else is there because this is only a once in a lifetime task but what else is there in the everyday life and then i saw so many things you know and i opened the can of worms and that's yeah. when i started to write and i wasn't going to publish this book initially i, I was just going to write for myself but you know i found out more and more and i was like wow this is like, I need to share this message to other men because if I hadn't gone through this process, um, I wouldn't have known. And I kind of want, I want other men to know about uh, the world we live in today and we can make a difference um, for, for the women in our lives and for, for ourselves too. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's so symbolic of so many things where, you know, you talk about, the idea of, of the time that it takes and the effort that it takes. And there's never been a, you know, a congratulations to women who have gotten that done in light of everything else that's probably going on in their lives and how many things like that happen. And, and exactly. whether they're huge, you know, identity signifiers such as your name or minor things that happen within the household or within the workplace every single day. 100%. Uh, but you, you touched on one thing that I personally struggle with, and that is the notion of chivalry. Mm -hmm. Because I, so I have a son and a daughter. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we talk about these things a lot. And I, I do, my son is 13, and he's just like, oh God, here she goes again. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about these things in a way, and, and it's, it's, Interesting, I think, talking to both genders at once because you do want to draw a very like vivid line of what some of the issues are without defeating anyone's self-value, um, particularly mm. for my daughter while not inflating uh, my, my son's 
you know, ranking or making him feel guilty for generations of men before him. Um, but I do struggle with the chivalry piece because I do teach my son to hold the door for me. I do teach my son to not hit girls. Um, his sister kind of beats the shit out of him, but that's <laughs> a different story. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where, you know, frankly, I like being taken care of sometimes, right? I like that feeling of of being protected or I like the, the notion of um, – somebody pulling the chair out for me. So tell me about kind of unpacking that aspect for you. And I know it's very personal, but I'm just curious. Yeah, I think chivalry is great. um, If you're being kind to another human being, you know, regardless of the sex, Mm -hmm. I think it becomes kind of, um, you know, sexism uh, when you only choose uh, one sex over the other. So chivalry is the idea that you know, as a man, you're supposed to be a gentleman to the, the ladies, right? So if you're only doing that to the females in your life, you know, I I think it's, um, um, it kind of goes against um, the gender equality idea for me. So like if you're holding the door for, uh, if your, you know, son's holding the door for you, like I think it's, uh, it's a good idea to hold the door for, his dad too, maybe. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think being kind to anybody because they need help. Um, I think that's, that's where the equality comes in. So yeah, I don't, yeah. I like that perspective of it because it's not necessarily about the, um, the performative nature of it. Mm-hmm. Right. The like, cause, because there's plenty of men that will do things that are quote unquote chivalrous and then are complete sexist a-holes, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. it's like, yes, you hold the door for your wife, but do you berate her and belittle her and, you know, mm-hmm. all the other things too. So I, I, I like that concept that it's about more about kindness and, mm-hmm. and humanity than it is a, a like stereotypical gender role. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We talk a lot on this podcast um, and you mentioned you listened to a few episodes. So thank you. Um, and so I'm sure, you know, we, I talk a lot about kind of the the expectations with gender roles and um, in particular my role as a breadwinner and kind of some of the complexities mm-hmm. that come when we uh, talk about finances and what that means across masculinity and femininity. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And you, you wrote, you know, ideally the numbers should be 50-50 and mm-hmm. no one would criticize women for being the breadwinner and no one would give men a hard time for staying at home to support their breadwinning partner. Mm-hmm. That would certainly be ideal. Um, unfortunately, it's not always the case. I think it's getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, pandemic has certainly not helped working women, unfortunately. I think the numbers just came out. It's 815,000 women have left the workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, what What has your experience been in this space with your, uh, with your research, uh, any interviews mm-hmm. you've done, any things you've had, you know, in your personal life? I'm curious. Yeah. So, yeah, like to your point, we have a long way to achieve that. Um, so let's take a look at the, the statistics, the parental leave um, statistics in Japan. So in 2019, um, I think over 85% of mothers took maternity leave, uh, while only 7% of fathers took it. Wow. Um, yeah, but the interesting part is more than 80% of men said they actually wanted to take maternity leave, but most of them didn't. So and, you know, and is that because it wasn't offered? Are are Japanese uh, benefits better than in the U.S. or is it because there's a stigma to taking it? 
The, the latter. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about the Japanese uh, parental leave system. It's, it's one of the best in the world. Despite the, the fact that Japan is number 114th in the gender index rankings in the world, mm. um, yeah. which is pretty sad as a Japanese. I think native, the, I want to say the U.S. I think is at 36 or something. We're we're low too. Yeah, um, but when it comes to uh, parental leave, it's very generous. So J- Japanese government um, offers up to a year uh, paid leave for both mothers and fathers. Wow, um, to take parental leave. So, I mean, that's I, why I got that's to take amazing. it. It's, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And I, I, I highly recommend more fathers to take it. But, Me too. you know, only 7%, right? So it's the stigma, the social stigma. And uh, tra- traditionally, men um, have been getting paid more. So hence, you know, when it comes to like, who's going to take care of the baby and who's going to work, it's usually, you know, the mother ends up staying at home. And the father ends up, you know, going back to work um, right after the birth of the child. So, you know, we got a long way to go. And in my opinion, I think we can only achieve this ideal um, when the same percentage or close to the same percentage of men take parental leave as women do. Yeah, Um, I I agree. I I, I think there's so much to it, obviously, in, in... You know, in the workplace, there's that that notion of equality, right? Because most mm-hmm. women, you know, whether or not you choose to, you you kind of have to, particularly if you carry, take mm-hmm. maternity leave. Um, but also, there's such a tremendous amount of bonding and sense of of responsibility and connection that happens when you're caring for your baby, and particularly mm-hmm. when you're caring for your baby on your own. Mm-hmm. And I think it creates such a opportunity for men to open themselves up to the meaningfulness of that role. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, not just the appreciation, but potentially the, oh, wait, actually, I'm way better at this than I ever was at that behind a desk. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what happened in my family. And I don't think my husband would have been as comfortable taking on that role had he not been in the house for, you know, both of my maternity leaves day in and day out. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and kind of seen that level of care and seen that connection and seen that, that need and that love. And that's the part where I think if you break away the stigma and allow for that path to be chosen, we will see a lot more people being more comfortable choosing that path because there will be this general sense of, mm-hmm. of understanding. Mm-hmm. 100%. I, I, I really think that's one of the linchpin keys here to equality. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I wrote this in my book as well. Um, I think one of the biggest things a man can do is to take paternity leave. And I think the longer and you know more, the longer the better, because that means you can support your partner and uh baby babies and watch the baby grow and all that benefits and also you know when uh when men leave the workforce it's going to give more um opportunities to women to step up as well and uh, you know it's right now society makes it so hard for men to leave the workforce because of the Mm -hmm. pressure and all that um and then it makes it so easy for women to to leave the workforce and it's, I think it's that's expected. when the, yeah. the biggest, yeah, the pay gap happens. Yeah. So tell me then, because you're obviously taking advantage of the full paternity leave, which is wonderful. Um, how 
how is that? How did you get past the stigma? How is this being perceived across, you know, your, your professional network? Um, is it, you know, are you, are you seen as that feminist guy or are you, you know, kind of what's the, what's the journey there? Yeah. Um, you know, I've been to preaching about this even before my, um, wife got pregnant. Right. And when she, when she did, you know, I was like, okay, well, this is my moment, you know, Mm -hmm. um, uh, this is what I've been wanting to do. And it would be a lie if I said like, oh, I just went, went to my employer and I, you know, I asked him for a time off. Um, it made me nervous. You know, I, I wasn't sure what other people were going to say about me or if I'm going to have my job, you know, when I come back, because I've never taken this time much, uh, much of time off of work since, uh, since I started working full time. Yep. Right. Um, so those thoughts came to my head. Um, but you know, I was pretty open with my employer. I told, told my boss, uh, pretty early on and, you know, just, I told him what I wanted to do, what I believed in. And he was very understanding and I'm very grateful for that. And, uh, my employer, um, you know, was very understanding as well. So, um, I think that support, it was tremendous. You know, if I, if I, had a very difficult boss or, you know, employer, I don't know if I, if I would have been, um, this courageous to take this much time off, maybe like, Oh, I might do like one month or two months instead of six. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, one, I'm very grateful for that. And two, um, yeah, I do have those thoughts in my head still, you know, I like right now, um, you know, this, I, I've been away from, my work for about a month and a half. Um, and you know, I passed off every, everything, all my responsibilities to my successor and he's doing a phenomenal job and he's actually doing more than I was doing Mm. when I was there. So it's Mm. like, it's great. I'm so happy for him. And at the same time, like, am I going to have my, you know, my job, uh, when I come back or is my job going to be so different? Like, what is it going to be? So, um, I do think about that kind of stuff, but, you know, I believe I'm, you know, I, um, I know like logically, like, yes, like I'm going to have my job back. Yes. Like legally it's, I, I have that, um, job protected. Uh, but I do think about that for sure. But so the it's, it's a struggle that it. I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's so brave of you to share that, but it's also comical because it's literally what every single mm-hmm. mother, working mother goes through, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Is that anxiety of, mm-hmm. holy shit, I'm pregnant. When do I have to tell people? Mm-hmm. When do I time this with when I think I'm going to get my next promotion? How mm-hmm. do I make sure I'm not pulled off this project because I'm due in three months? You know, those things. And then when you're out, what am I missing? Mm-hmm. Is somebody else taking on my projects? Are they doing more, doing better than I? Mm-hmm. When I come back, will I be treated differently because I'm now a working mother? Um, all of these anxieties. And and I always tell women because I, I feel like, you know, even the point you said where this is the longest time I've ever not worked since work, since starting to work, my career. Exactly. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. who else? And, you know, and then people are like, oh, you get six months off. And it's like, it's not off. And so, you know, so it's, it's a very, um, I always tell people who are going on their maternity or paternity leaves that it's, uh, first of all, it's time you'll never get back. 
mm-hmm. right? That time to just focus on being a parent, you know, for better or worse right now, we're in the middle of a pandemic. My company has a very generous uh, carer's leave policy, which I'm actually taking advantage mm-hmm. of one day a week because I'm responsible for homeschooling, which is mm-hmm. holy God, I'm awful at it. Um, I'm like, I don't want to be a teacher. I wanted to be a mom. I don't want to be a teacher. Um, but it, it's so there's these things that are being put in place, which are wonderful. But in general, you don't ever get that time back to really just focus on that mm-hmm. one part of your job, which is the rest of your life. Right. And mm-hmm. it's, but it's also very hard to separate your, your pride and in some ways your ego from how necessary you were to be in that. And we, we talk a lot at Google about kind of helping parents. And and I think it does traditionally become more women than men. And I'll, I'll get to that in one second, but to reassure them before they come back, how much we need them back and how excited we are to have them back and which Mm. projects, you know? And so you really have to balance that line as a leader of, I, I want to engage you so that you're getting excited and getting ready to come back. However, I don't want to take any mind share away mm-hmm. from your family time right now. So mm-hmm. it's, I, I think, and, and we have a lovely and, and progressive company that, that focuses on those types of things. But, um, I, I lost my train of thought. I was going to come back to something. Uh, it will come to me. It will <laughs> come to me. Um, but you know, I, I think it's, it's, Oh, I know what I was going to say. So, the, the other trick with paternity leave that we see a lot of um, in the U.S., and, and it's similar to what you were saying in Japan where they offer this, but very few people take it, mm-hmm. is also the idea of men being able to take paternity leave when it's convenient for them. Mm-hmm. And that I really struggle with, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the inequities of, one, if you're carrying jet that it's obvious if a yeah. woman is expecting a baby. It's not mm-hmm. obvious if a man is expecting a baby. You could find mm-hmm. out two weeks before, which means those projects, those opportunities for those, you know, five to six months that you're showing uh, will continue to come a man's way, will mm-hmm. not continue to come a woman's way in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but secondly, the the maternity leave in those initial few months is extraordinarily physical, mm-hmm. extraordinarily draining. Yeah. Um, for, for women who did carry and deliver, there is recovery involved. Um, it, it's, it's not that fun. <laughs> I mean, we get through it and we love it and we think of it fondly, but it is not by any means taking on a baby when they're six months old and you get to go and push them in the swing at the park. And I'm not saying that that's always fun and easy, mm-hmm. but it's a completely different level of effort and and physicality than is the first six months. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and is that similar to some of the structure you see in Japan? So of those 7% of men that are taking paternity leave, are they able to take it at any given time, say within the first year of the child's birth, or does it have to come immediately after that change of, uh, you know, bringing a new life or, or either into your home or into the world? Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, so fathers can take, um, um, the paternity leave in the first, within the first year twice. But if you want to take it the second time, you have to have the um the first one be taken within the first eight weeks of okay. uh 
after the birth. Yeah. But most, most men take it right after the birth. And I think、yeah. the average length of paternity leave is like two weeks or something like that. So it's not too long, but it's, it's、yeah. better than nothing. Some men just go straight back to work, you know. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I, I know stories of people who have left the delivery room and gone back into the office.、Mm -hmm. um, and this is not stories from yesteryear. This is,、mm -hmm. this is people I know who are、uh, colleagues.、Um, it's very challenging. I, I want to unpack another concept that I read when, when kind of reading about your, your background, and it's this concept of an unscripted life.、Mm -hmm. um, and I, this really struck me in so many ways. In, in, One aspect more broadly and more globally, I think everything that is happening right now in terms of our generation living through a pandemic is where the scripts are being thrown out the window, right?、Mm -hmm. Like all of a sudden everything is upside down and we have to figure out how, how we kind of fit. But my guess is that journey for you started well before,、uh, you know, what, what happened in 2020 with this pandemic spreading across the globe.、Mm -hmm. what, what does an unscripted life mean to you? And, and are you still working to achieve that? Is that something you feel like you've nailed?、Um, it's, I think it's a, it's a way of practice. So just because I understand what an unscripted life means, I don't think I've mastered it.、Um, so for me, living、mm -hmm. an unscripted life is questioning social expectations. So, like myself included, I think many men are living,、um, or, or I was, living a life that's more scripted. So, like, hey, go to school, graduate college with good grades, and you know, get a well paying job, you know, have a family, and go back to work and continue to work、um, and enjoy your retirement, per se. So that's like very broad, but you know, say like that's a scripted life.、Mm -hmm. um, But it, you know,、um, I realized that it doesn't have to be that way. You can continue to work or you can take some time off in between and care for your child. And、uh, there will be social pressure around it whenever you go um, um, off the, the path, the scripted path. But, you know, if it works for you, that's great.、Um, you just got to fight with the pressure. So, you know, I spent a few years trying to dismantle these social expectations. So, you know, when my wife and I found out that she was pregnant, you know, I really had to think about what I wanted to prioritize.、Mm -hmm. I ended up, you know, this time、uh, taking six months off for paternity leave, but the decision didn't come that easily、uh, because、yeah. I did feel the pressure to continue working. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's,、um, I remember. Our former CEO, Eric Schmidt, once、uh, talked about, he was, talking, I, he was kind of talking about midlife, right? And where, you know, when you're in your 20s or maybe early 30s, there's a bunch of like check boxes that aren't yet checked、mm -hmm. of like, you know, who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? Am I going to have kids? How many kids will I have? What will my job be? You know, this, this kind of excitement of not knowing what life is. And、mm -hmm. then, You ultimately check a lot of those boxes and then you kind of settle into this routine. And,、um, you know, I, I, I think that's where, like for me, my kind of quote unquote awakening happened、um, around my early to mid 30s, where I was like, oh, life is wonderful, but it、mm -hmm. is not what I thought it was going to be.、Mm. And I really had to work through that. And I really、mm -hmm. had to reconcile that in a way that I felt good about that wasn't,、um, 
it wasn't remorseful by any means. It was just kind of like a recognition of the expectations I had had versus mm-hmm. what actually happened. And, you know, something just popped into my head and I can't believe I've never thought about this. But when I was younger in my bedroom, uh, I had this huge candle that was given to me as a child mm-hmm. and it was, um, you would burn the candle and it would go down in the ages. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, whatever. And with each age was a, um, like a image, a, a little decal of what was supposed to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. So at 16, you had car keys mm-hmm. uh, at 18, you had a graduation cap and then there was an engagement ring and then there was a baby. And how fucked up is that? Right. Like where it's <laughs> just like, here is your path to happiness. And it, you know, and I'm sure it was just a very sweet gift from somebody. And I'm sure it's one of those things that we mm-hmm. were talking about before where you just don't think about it, mm-hmm. but what a message I would never you know, one generation later, never allow that to be in my child's bedroom, mm-hmm. uh, either gender, right? Yeah. Because it's 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 this of like, you know, you just get on the train tracks and you just go. And, and I feel like we are just not in that society anymore. And I think you can really relieve yourself of of kind of rethinking those things. Yeah. Um, and, and and even myself, I mean, if you talked to me two years ago, I would have told you my kids are in a K to twelve school in Brooklyn. We have a house there. We're every that's exactly what we're going to do for the next fifteen years. And mm-hmm. here I am living in South Jersey in a totally different life that I had no idea was going to happen a year ago. So mm-hmm. there are these things where you have to kind of muddle through them or or grow through them and hopefully grow through them together with your partner. But this very long rant is actually leading me to another um, point that you made that I really liked. And this was getting to your why, right? Mm-hmm. So your why of your partnership and and really asking yourselves those questions in, in mm-hmm. your everyday life, but also the more kind of existential whys. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that journey like for you? What was what what brought that to be? Yeah, so you know like those the the scripted life is like i'm n- i'm not saying it's a bad thing it's it can be very good as long as you know the why behind it like oh i want to get this mm-hmm. i want to be on this path because da 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 like you know if the reason is concrete and if you know exactly why i think that's a great life for that person but if you can't really identify the why within you you have to really ask yourself like okay why do i want this or maybe mm-hmm. I don't want this, right? Oh, so what do I want and why do I want it? So asking those tough questions uh, within you and, you know, talk to your your partner, talk to your family members. Um, and I think that's a good practice that you can do or exercise that you can do. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been a curious person since I was little. Like I kept asking, like, why, why, do, why are the things the way they are, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, with... Um, taking my wife's name is one uh, like why how come you know 97 percent of the time the wife takes the man's man's last name um you know how come men don't do that um you know so on and i realized it's uh, because of the system is set up that way you know mm-hmm. we live in a patriarchal society but why is that and then kind of you know kept leading me to um you know uh those those questions yeah. Um, sorry, did I answer your question? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, absolutely. I think that's what's so interesting about it is is 
going back to the beginning of our conversation when there's mm. things that are societal norms mm-hmm. that, you know, look, you can exhaust yourself and ask the why all day long. And some days you're in that mode and some days you're not, you just got to mm-hmm. get it done. Right. But in those moments, when you ask yourself, you know, why is that phrase like that? Or why, why do I make that assumption? Or why do I project that uh, position? You know, really kind of unpacking those things is all part of our personal journeys. And I feel like the more we're open to challenging ourselves, challenging our partners, challenging our colleagues with those types of questions, the more we break down barriers mm-hmm. of, of a deeper understanding. Because we, I, I think the majority of reasonable people can agree that there is an issue with these toxic messages and with the way society is constructed. But it is such a huge ball of wax that I feel like people can so easily get overwhelmed that they don't want to have anything to do. You know, it's just too much. Mm-hmm. But the, the the journey that you've been on and starting from such a personal and, like I said, logistical but also emotional piece about the name change becomes part of your personal journey to understanding, but something that you are now sharing mm-hmm. um, and something that you're giving such a beautiful gift to your son as he grows up and as Mm -hmm. he's able to, you know, just be raised in a family that doesn't make these assumptions or put these assumptions onto him. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I I think awareness is just such a critical piece of it. So thank you so much for, for what you're doing and uh, everything that you uh, have been on in your own personal journey and the bravery to kind of bring that forward and, and to make it more public and make it more of a conversation. Excellent. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, so for our listeners, tell us a bit about the book. When is it coming out? Where can they find it? Um, where can they connect with you? Yes. So the book is called I Took Her Name, Lessons from My Journey to Vulnerability, Authenticity, and Feminism. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be available on December 1st. And uh, I have two websites. So one is uh, the book's official website, uh, which is I took her name.com, just one word. Um, and my personal site, uh, which I talk a lot about my book as well, uh, it's shumatsuopost.com, S-H-U-M-A-T-S-U-O-P-O-S-T.com. Excellent. Excellent. Well, definitely uh, put it on your, your Christmas lists for <laughs> all the men and women in your life. Um, and Shu, thank you so much for, for making this time and for all the work that you do uh, on behalf of fem- feminism globally. Uh- excellent absolutely Bethany thanks so much for having me today my pleasure don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts Google Play Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button and please leave a review to give us direct feedback and also to get the podcast in front of more eyes it's very much appreciated 